0: This week's guest Chris Demakes and myself toured with Tommy Tutone during a Less Than Jake Fallout Boy Punchline tour. So when I asked Chris, host of Chris Demakes a podcast which I actually produce, what song he wanted to discuss, the answer was very obvious. This week we discuss if Jenny, 8675309, brought the thunder or if Tommy should have lost that number.
1: all you
0: need to make the money guaranteed and you can live off royalties forever
1: and it makes me wonder is it just a wonder or is it
0: one hit thunder all right so let me set the scene we're in yes. philadelphia at the electric factory which i believe was the biggest club in philadelphia sold out show it's uh Less Than Jake, Fallout Boy, Punchline, and Tommy Two-Tone. And this is one of those things where it sounds like it's made up. I have like 50 of these stories where it sounds like a complete lie, but it's completely true. That at one point, I was sitting at a piano with Patrick Stump while he's playing Werewolves of London and we're singing it together. Chris, our guest this week, comes over and says, what the fuck are you guys doing? And in the background is a drunk Tommy Two-Tone in a cat in the hat hat <laughs> stumbling around behind him. That is the scene that I'll set to begin this episode. Do you, do you remember that particular show, Chris?
1: I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday because, you know, I, I want to say that Tommy was out for what, seven to ten days? Yeah. Roughly? Because yeah. then we had Bang Tango for the other the other half. Right. Were you guys on that portion
0: too? Yes, we were on at least some of it. Yeah, we played shows the Bang Tango.
1: Yeah, so uh, Electric Factory. There, uh, I could uh, see the hallway. I can see the room. There's a uh, big communal dressing room that uh, they they have catering and stuff in. And after the shows, there's typically where you have your guests. And we had an after party that night, and music's blaring, and people are enjoying some drinks and. Uh, yeah, I, I'm standing there, and Tommy Two Tone comes over, a little tipsy. Uh, which I did the math. Tommy was about 57 at, uh, at that point. He's 73 now. Okay. He comes over and he and and he puts his arm around me. He goes, "So does this go on every night, like the after party?" I'm like, "Yeah." And he's just looking around the room. He's like, "All these girls are younger than my daughters." <laughs> and I was like. Yeah, I don't know what to say, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> there's still
0: probably thirty. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. But yeah, that that uh, remember that night uh, very well because it's such a, a legendary venue. Uh, that you know, it's it. For those that don't know, Electric Factory is about as big as you can get club wise. Uh, before going to an arena, it's like twenty two hundred people in that place. It's pretty big. Right,
0: so let's talk for a minute about how did Tommy Two Tone end up being on that tour?
1: The tour was was uh, Fall Out Boy, Punchline, Less Than Jake, and Rufio. And Rufio, one of the members of the band, unfortunately, their their brother had passed away maybe a week before we were going to start the tour, and they unfortunately couldn't couldn't do it. And uh, we were scrambling because we we wanted to have a four four band bill, and there was just no way. We were going to get another solid band. It was just too soon. Either bands are on tour or they just got off the road and, and no one can be like, oh, yeah, we'll be there in two days and play at least the size of a band of Rufio at the time who had a really good buzz on them. So we reached out to our agent and we were given Rufio a thousand bucks a night. That's what that's what we were going to pay them. And our agent uh, went fishing, basically, just put the feelers out there like, who can we get for a thousand dollars? And it, <laughs> man, the the, <laughs> the list that came back, it was uh I remember it was a, a survivor who did eye of the tiger wow i, I want to say night ranger but i, I i'm not really sure because night night ranger just seems bigger but i definitely know survivor uh, was one of them and there was a few others from from the 80s era there was a new wave band in there it was like i want to say flock of seagulls or somebody but tommy two-tone uh, agreed to play for a thousand bucks a night and uh <laughs> we jumped at it we're like what a story you know and we're and our band's always about the the story and the hilarity of it all and you know Tommy was uh, was pretty well received though man. He, they they it was funny. Do you remember they would open with 8675309 and they would close with it?
0: Oh yes, I remember that. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite stories to tell about that. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course he's going to open
1: and close with it and everybody loved it. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. You know, so we we had him come out and and I remember uh, I believe we were sound checking and all of a sudden I look out and these and I say older guys because they were a lot older than we were. I mean, this is going back to 2003, so that's 17 years ago. I was a lot younger, of course. And and uh <laughs> Tommy was 57, so I'm on stage and I remember I can't remember where their first show was. But I remember looking out and I see these older guys pushing amps in and I remember Tommy had a gig bag over his shoulder with a with a guitar on it. Uh just standing there kind of looking around the venue. I'm like, okay, that's the band. Which, interestingly enough, as I researched this, I realized that he always went by Tommy Heath. He right. never went by Tommy Two-Tone. The band was just him. called...
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought he was him. Tommy... <laughs> what, up, what up, Tommy Two-Tone? That'd be like a <laughs> Darius Rucker went and We're like, what up, Hootie? <laughs>
1: yeah, it's the yeah. same, same idea, right? I mean, and and yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, in 2003 i just found that out when i when i uh uh, was asked to be on this podcast i did a little research i was like holy shit he's not even his name's not even tommy two-tone just the band was called that that's really funny that
0: we had no idea why if somebody the band's name is tommy and you call the band tommy two-tone what do you expect people to think and what do you think first of all less than jake is a big band but do you think tommy two-tone knew who less than jake was before uh, getting asked to be on the tour, I, I
1: highly doubt it. Unless yeah. again, one of his children, one of his daughters, uh, uh, was into us. No, he, I don't think he. I think it was literally the you know his agent called him and said, "Hey man, I got a paying gig for you. Want to make some money?" And and uh, he got the band together and they went out and and did some did some gigs. That that's what I think.
0: Yeah, and it's so funny that he walked, probably walked into the tour not knowing. Oh, I'm just going to play all the biggest clubs, like sold out shows with these bands I haven't heard of, but they're real big. <laughs>
1: you know, so. Well, I, I and I, I guess that's a good point. I have I have a follow up story to that, um, which we can either touch on now or or, no, or get, it, get into it. later. Uh, well, it was about six months after the run, so I want to say we did that tour in maybe. March or April of 03 does that sound right yeah that sounds about right or later uh, so it was about six months I was living in Tampa Florida at the time and I'm middle of the day and I want to say it was like a Saturday phone rings it's a 513 number which that's where Tommy at least at the time lived and I'm like 513 and I, and I know I know my area codes from touring all these years I'm like oh, that's okay that's Cincinnati I'm like I have no idea who this is and I, I picked it up and I'm like hello he's like hi can speak to Chris please yeah this is Chris Hi, Chris, uh, Tommy Heath, Tommy (laughs) Two-Tone. That's exactly how he said it, because he he didn't know if I knew who the hell Tommy Heath was. And uh, I'm like, what's up, Tommy? And basically, he just said, you know, kind of uh, expounding on your last question, he was like, the tour was amazing. We had no idea what it was going to be like, you know, walking into it. It was awesome. Uh, you know, we'd love to do shows with you guys again. Please keep us in mind. You know, and I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah, that's nice. Did you have to tell him? Unfortunately, Tommy, ain't gonna happen.
1: <laughs> you never know. It wasn't really ruled out, and it, and in fact, it was funny because, like, you know, when we got him, and then the other band we had, Bang Tango, which is even way less known than Tommy, they were they they had like a video played once or twice at MTV in the eighties. They were a metal band. Um, when we had him come out, it was kind of like. I don't want to say it was a joke, but it was like, this is all we could get for the, for the money. You know, we were in a pinch and and it was a story at this point. It's like we got the guy, uh, Tommy Two-Tone, that, that had this massive hit, which, you know, I, I, I got a, I got a few years on you, Chris. So like it was like all the rage when I was like nine or ten years old. I used to go to skating rinks and skate around to eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. Like this song was the biggest thing ever uh, in 1981, eight, eight, two. It was, it was huge. I mean,
0: and it, it's still a huge song. It's still like, it's very rare that people don't know this song. If, if at the very least from those like commercials of like hits of the 80s and like just that clip of that chorus will get stuck in your head, even if you didn't know the song from back then. Uh, it's It's definitely got staying power.
1: Yeah, Um, I don't know of any other songs over the years that had a phone number like exactly like this. I mean, I know that there's been stuff like call 1 800, blah, 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 in a song or whatever, but like to have a hook of this nature and to have it. And now, you know, I don't know if you ever heard this story, but it was a huge thing. And like living in, in where I grew up in this little town in Florida, there was only like three exchanges it was like 629, 625, and 627 to start off a phone number. But the bigger cities, like, People that had eight six seven five, you know, eight six seven. They they were always trying to dial five three zero nine. And uh, there's there's stories out there about people that had that number yeah. <laughs> in different area codes that were getting blown. You could imagine.
0: Yeah, and and I wonder if this had anything to do with the creation of. Do you ever notice? It always pisses me off, actually, and it like, takes me out of a TV show or a movie when someone will show a phone number and it starts with 555 right? Like, because there's some sort of rule. I know this is stupid, but I've heard other people say it, too. It always pisses me off because once you put that 555 in there, it just makes it like so fake. So why it- not just... Not show the number,
1: (laughs) like yeah the whole the whole movie's fit and negates the whole movie at that point. I completely agree.
0: Yeah, it's so weird. But one thing I would like to say about the eight six seven five three zero nine is, dude, you started doing a songwriting podcast and you are a songwriter. And when it comes to songwriting, how genius is that to use these numbers? You know, you could he very easily could have went like, whoa, oh, oh. He could have done woes. He could have said like some generic line. But the fact that it's a phone number, like, geez,
1: that makes it like 10 times more catchy that it's just fun to sing those numbers. Absolutely. You know, and 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 Tommy didn't write this song. He doesn't have a writing credit on it. It was like the guitar player that, that had written this. And it was kind of like an afterthought uh, when I read up on it. And and again, you, you take what you read on the online with a grain of salt, but, uh, you know, something to the effect of the story is, you know, he just kind of wrote this brought in into the band and, and it was kind of like, you know, the producers like, yeah, I guess we could cut it, you know, not thinking that, uh, anything cuz Tommy had one record before this that didn't do anything. Uh I think he was on CBS Records and then then this record uh, came out and, and blew up. But yeah, I mean just yeah, it could it could have been anything, but just that 8675309 is just so catchy and memorable. And I you know, to your point, I don't know if it would have worked if it was, you know, uh 6254632, you know.
0: Right. He <laughs> found the right combination of you know, because when it comes to songwriting, you and I both know that the singability of words is so important because you might you might want to fit some a uh, very profound lyric in into this space even if it's the right syllables but if it doesn't sing right you're better off just singing something that's not profound that's catchy and sticks in people's heads and maybe maybe getting the more deeper stuff in the verses or something like that but when it comes to a chorus, yeah, you want something that just is singable. And for some reason, that combination of numbers and I dude, I have such a funny story about this too, <laughs> dude. Okay. I'm not going to tell you exactly what they said, but as a kid, my phone number was 684-6211. And when you played it, when you dialed my number into a, into a telephone, it, the dial tone played a little song. It went six eight four six two one one like that was like the the melody so my friends of course (laughs) made a song that went along for it that that you know i'll keep it pg here but it was basically for a big old blank up in your blank call six eight four six two one one (laughs) and like to this day they will still sing that song to me
1: I thought you were going to say you punched in eight six seven five three zero nine and actually played the jingle or something.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but I had my own. I had my own eight six seven five three zero nine. It was six eight four six two one one. Play that on if you if anybody has a um nobody has that anymore. But if but you the, if put if
1: the, you, the big push phone, not, yeah, not the rotary that, dial.
0: If you have that, check out that melody because it's pretty sweet. You know, it's funny. You mentioned that Tommy Heath, aka Tommy Two-Tone to us didn't write the song. Uh, the guitarist Jim Keller is actually the one who wrote the song, but it's funny because Tommy would tell people that the song was a true story. I guess he told people that for a long time, and then his Jim dude who wrote the songs like, nah. I just made that up.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, that and that—that's what I had had read too. And that I I believe the quote you're speaking of was from 2013. So I think that's the most recent thing that I read, and I tend to believe that. You know, I think that I think for back in the back in the day, it was a story, and of course, you couldn't really disprove anything in 1982. There, you couldn't Google it uh, in two seconds to figure it out. So yeah, it made it made for interesting. uh, subject matter at a radio station at seven in the morning when the jock's saying hey well what's this song ah, it's this chick jenny and i wrote it about her or whatever you know right so it kind of kind of make makes for a better story but the song i mean tommy it's interesting you know the, the old blessing and the curse of a one-hit wonder uh it always reminds me in this instance of like those uh those actors that get pegged. It's like, you know, Bob Denver, who was Gilligan on Gilligan's Island or any of the Brady bunch kids, they could never do anything after cause they were just typecast. And right. this is kind of, you know, I, I went back the last week um, when I found out I was going to be on the show. And I, I actually, I listened to, you know, probably eight or nine songs from his catalog. And, Tommy's got, you know, kind of like this Elvis Costello thing going with his voice. And, you know, I think that's kind of, you know, where he was, you know, just kind of like a rock and roll guy. And uh, this novelty hit, so to speak. And the 80s were all about novelty hits. I mean, yeah. you still have them. They're, you know, novelty hits never going to go away. But the 80s were just, I mean, everything was, was, uh, you know, everyone was trying to find their 8675309.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, you look at like the Buggles or the Big Dire Straits song that. uh Yeah, Money for Nothing. You play the guitar on it. Yeah, like that. Every every song did have like this some sort of gimmick to it that, you know, whether it was musical or not so musical, there was something about it very memorable, which is actually important. Uh But yeah, you're right. It's totally uh, it's totally all, you know, the 80s. Or well, yeah, every
1: ev- everything was so literal. I mean, if there was a movie that came out today called Ghostbusters, yeah, someone <laughs> might write a theme song for it, but I doubt it's going to be Ghostbusters, you know, Dude. it's going to be <laughs> the, the literal name of the damn movie that's this, you know, and that's what the 80s were all about. It was very literal, very jugular and just but it worked. I mean, this I song. I fucking love that. I love that. The very, the specificity of
0: the mute of the music, because you said that. And then I started thinking about, do you know the Bobby Brown song from Ghostbusters Two?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: On our own. There's literally, he breaks into a rap, which he repeats twice in the song, specifically about Ghostbusters Two. He, he basically sums up the plot <laughs> of Ghostbusters Two in a rap halfway through a song that could have been its own song that didn't have to do with Ghostbusters.
1: Too hot to handle, too cold to hold. They called the Ghostbusters at the end control. Had a throwing party for a bunch of children. Well, all the wild slime under the building. So they packed up and moved, got a grip camera clips, grabbed the proton packs on the back, then they split.
0: That is amazing, and I, I want there to be more. I want to write those songs, and I want there to be more of those songs that are so specifically uh, about a movie or a TV show, because I think that's fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it's such a timepiece, too, when you look at these lyrics, and it reminds me of of the Joan uh, Jett track, I Love Rock and Roll, because in that song, she says, uh, I love rock and roll, put another dime in the jukebox, baby. Well, in this song, in the very last uh, chorus, it says, Jenny, Jenny, who can I turn to? Uh, for the price of a dime, I can always turn to you, uh, the price of a dime. That was a phone call back then before it went to a quarter and a payphone. And I'm, you know, I, again, I'm old enough to to, to remember when it was a dime to, to, to make a phone call. So it's very time piece when you go back and read these lyrics to me. And, and I, like I said, it can take me right back to super skate roller rink in Port Charlotte, Florida, where I skated around. And I don't want to say a you know, get all weird on people and be like, what the hell are you talking about? But I've always had a sixth sense. I don't know, man. I used to get weird vibes listening to this and and to the Joan song who I, years later, I toured with Joan on the Warp Tour. I got to tour with uh, Tommy Two-Tone with you guys. Uh, uh, You know, and there's plenty of other 80s songs I listened to that I never got that feeling, but it was almost like a premonition that, uh, yeah, something, I was gonna cross paths with these people. But uh, this song was huge, man. Hey, when you are writing a song, do you ever think
0: about like, oh, wait a second, that line that I wrote, that might not be relevant anymore in 10 years. Like, I, I think I do like a lot of rap music and they will, in rap songs, a lot of times people will specifically cite like an iPhone 10 or like a, you know, they'll have a line about like texting or like, and that's not just rap music as far as texting. But like, do you ever think about that in your songs or or can you think of anything that you've written where you're like oh that would have been like if when we were touring together Ah, uh, back in the day, if we would have had a line about having a T-Mobile sidekick in our song or something, yeah.
1: You know? Um, uh, no, I've never really thought about that, but sometimes you can't help it. For instance, if if you're writing the, the eight six seven five three zero nine, and you're like, for the price of a dime, I can always turn to you. Uh, you might not ever think that a phone call is going to cost more than a dime, right? So, so you write it not knowing that it's going to be be dated later on. Um, then there's other times, like you said, we're like right now. If I was going to talk about my you know iPhone ten plus or whatever, uh, <laughs> Yeah. I'd be like, <laughs> uh, I, I'd be like probably conscious of saying, yeah, that's going to date this at some point, but haven't really run across that myself because, uh, uh, it's a great question. I've never, but I, I can't them think pretty, of, you've kept them pretty, uh, timeless. You've kept
0: li- I, Yeah. I can't think, I of, think of any so. less than Jake lyrics that aren't timeless you know they all uh, but hey i bet there's i bet there are some if we dig deep enough i'm gonna oh I'm gonna yeah do some i can't on that
1: <laughs> i can't think of anything off the top of my head but I'm, I'm sure there's a couple but yeah that's a great question i yeah. i uh nothing deliberate but like i said there there are songs that certainly if you're going to talk about your sidekick or your iphone that's going to you know date it uh, and and you should know that doing so but in the event of something like you know put another dime in the jukebox baby or something you don't think that the price is going to go up maybe or right. think about it but <laughs> put another uh <laughs> worth of credits in your uh, TouchTunes uh, app on your phone. (laughs) Put another shilling in the jukebox.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About The Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About The Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Chris makes a podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts and new episodes come out every Monday.
0: Hey, something that I actually wanted to ask you about that has been a topic of conversation on this podcast before. And we kind of touched on it here is when you are writing a song, are you always in one way or another getting in touch with something that you have personally experienced or can you step outside and write like a story like as if you're an author because i even think authors even if they're writing a fictional story they're bringing their own experience into it you know cuz i think about when i write a song whether i want to admit it or not i'm going to go somewhere inside myself to a time something caused me pain or caused me happiness or whatever and and bring that even if I'm trying to write something that's just like a story. So when you write a song, how
1: do you approach that? Aspect. Well, I mean, that's the $64 billion question you just asked me. It really is, because that's the fine line between great lyricists and uh, and, we're, and we're, we're speaking about lyrics now when you say writing a song. Yeah, that's right, right. You know, From yeah. a lyrical um, standpoint. You know, I'm not the greatest lyricist. I mean, I, for for 25 years, I had the, the drummer of our band write the lyrics, and I, I knew Vinny since high school. So, you know, my lyrics, the best lyrics that I write always are, are introspective. They're about my feelings. When I try to write a song uh, to paint a story, it just comes out too literal and cheesy. Like, hey, I'm going to go to the store later, and then I'm going to do this. And it just doesn't, you know, the, the great storytellers, your Springsteens, your Tom Petty's, Bob Dylan, Beatles, you know, they were able to be imaginative. And they they very well may have brought, you know, said, hey, here's a concept for a song. I want it to be about, you know, girl loves boy you know high school sweethearts and this happens but i'm also going to interject my own pain or my own joy from my life into the song to kind of give it some personal touch or push the story along and wow those two things are are very foreign to me in terms of of being able to do it well you know right. that's to paint a story that you wrote again like i think i've written some you know really good lyrics that are from my heart that say something and they're real because you know they happen to me but uh writing that that hey i'm gonna write a song about this and doing either just a f- completely fictitious song uh made up or interjecting my own uh personal touch into that made up song i uh i've never really been able to do it uh, do it well
0: i'm i'm kind of the same way i'm always writing whether i want to or not it always ends up being i'm writing about something from my life my personal experience my feelings it's always my feelings and uh it's funny too because you know when you you write a demo or whatever i just talked about this on the last episode too but i'm writing something sometimes i feel like oh i'm being so obvious my my bandmates are going to know who this is about and what it's about and i feel like kind of embarrassed but at the same time like these are the best Lyrics of this, and then sometimes I get like bashful because I feel like I'm like writing a poem and and handing it to my friends and being like, Check out my poetry about my feelings, and like, (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with that. There's no reason I should feel like I should be like proud of that, but for some reason, I guess I'm shy or I'm whatever. And sometimes I'll find myself like, "Ah, I gotta, I gotta change that, you know. And I, yeah, uh, an example of that, which is really funny, my bandmates don't know this, and I don't know if they'll listen to this podcast, but it's funny. There's a, a new punchline song that was one that I brought to the table. You know, we all bring songs to the table and then we work on them together or whatever. But this one was like my baby and brought it to the table and we recorded it and everything. And I, but I all of the lyrics to it, which I'll tell them about that this after, but where I found this old box and it was all these letter, like love letters, basically from old girlfriends from like way long time ago so i took i i read them and then i was just taking lines from these letters and making them <laughs> into lyrics so, but it was kind of like that's a
1: great idea though
0: yeah it was it was just it was neat like i liked the way it worked out and it was funny because like when we were like you know discussing as a band like changing lines just phonetically because this sang better or something i was all i was very more resistant than usual i was like ah I don't know. I kind of like the way they are just because then it meant something to me. It was almost as if like I took all these old memories that would have just like this box I'm eventually going to lose and it's just going to, but I'm turning it into a song. So like that way this lives on. And I don't know if that sounds cheesy or whatever. Well, no. But,
1: and it's also that the, they were real too. going right. back to the other point. It was, it was real. That's why you didn't really want to change. It was like, well, this is what it was.
0: Right. It's funny when you look at this Tommy Two-Tone song, (laughs) because the funniest thing, you know, Tommy had this big story, which, you know, why not? Why not play up? Like, yeah, tell them it's real. That's what people want to hear. Whether it's real or not, you want to hear like, oh yeah, this is a true story. So I think it was just like Jim Keller, the guitarist who wrote it, just, it was way later. And he's like, ah, you know, we just made that up. (laughs) At this this point, people aren't liking the song because they think it's a real person but i think this quote by him is really funny the first line of it is jenny is a regular girl not a hooker
1: (laughs) so (laughs) yeah i guess guess people thought she was a hooker in this song yeah i don't i didn't really uh get that from from reading this uh, reading the lyrics but yeah i don't know maybe he was just being funny when i i I laughed at that quote too i saw that i kind (laughs) of chuckled i think it's Um, (laughs) because her number was on the wall (laughs) <laughs> yeah right well that has to be what it is like you're, you're at a truck stops like for a good time call and that's <laughs> yeah. one of the lyrics in here oh, you know yeah, okay for a good time for a good time I, call i
0: forgot about that line yeah so that makes sense
1: uh yeah which yeah i guess i guess that's why you would think she's a hooker could
0: you imagine calling one of those numbers on on the wall at the fucking loves <laughs> that, that that's how we met right you and i yeah, yeah right <laughs> i'll never i'll never forget when i i found out what a lot lizard was <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, always, I always saw the stickers that said, no lot lizards. And then someone, I think we were on tour and someone explained it to us. I was like, whoa, that exists. Uh, truck stop hookers exist. Yeah for, those, yeah.
1: for those that don't know, it's ladies of the night that frequent truck stops and wait for the next next trucker to pull in. It's a oh. constant in, influx of new, new customers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, th- this tune, though, I smell record label all over it in terms of I I would bet the farm that the song was just called Jenny and they brought it in their A&R guy label's like what Jenny like well, yeah Jenny it's about Jenny yeah but the the, the song should be called 8675309 that's like the, that's what you remember like no it's called Jenny no, here here's the compromise. So it's eight six seven five three zero nine, and then parentheses. It's Jenny.
0: Yeah, got to bring the parentheses <laughs> into it. Hey, is Les and Jake have any parentheses songs? You guys got to. You got like a million. Yeah, songs.
1: Uh, overrated is one of them. And in parentheses, it says everything is because I think oh. the A guy again. He wanted to call it everything is overrated, and we're like, no, it's just overrated, right? You know, so everything. So now it's overrated, and in parentheses, everything is. So so that the the commoner looks at that on a playlist and goes. Well, I know what song that is, because it goes everything is overrated. It has to be that song versus just overrated and they wouldn't know the song. I mean, sometimes these things are so asinine. Right. Which, you know, again, although in, in this particular instance, and I and I'm just surmising, but I, I think it was the the, the the good call, the right yes. call to call it 86753 or 9. Yeah, because
0: that is definitely what everybody was calling it, whether that was <laughs> the name of the song or not. And it's funny too, because I don't know, do you do you think about your song titles nowadays because I mean, I know in Punchline, we're, we're trying to be more conscious of that these days because there's search engines, uh, you know, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to music, you want your song to be the one thing that comes up when you search that thing. I think less Jake has been pretty good. I don't think there's a lot of songs called all my best friends or Metalheads" or like,
1: well, no, well, actually there is, we have, we have a lot like the science of selling yourself short, one of our right. biggest songs. And that, that's, that has that, none of those lyrics are in the song anywhere. And Vinny was always drawn to that, you know, cause a lot of our favorite bands, I mean, look at propaganda song titles. I mean, yeah. they're just like on <laughs> eight miles long. Yeah. And that was always kind of like the artistic side of, of, of his, uh, lyric writing was like, yeah, the song's called this, but it's about this, and and I respect that. But you know, we definitely w- wanted to streamline streamline that with our uh, latest record, and and we have, you know, we kind of kept it a little more literal. Which, uh, you know, for for my songs, just speaking of, I, I like to keep them a little. The, the titles, I mean, granted, if if something is really clever or has to be this long song title, you know, but I'm I'm not going to make a song title long or clever just for the sake of it.
0: Right. I think the probably the key is. Naming it something, if people hear the song, they can be like, oh, I remember that one line and look it up, just making that line unique enough that like, it's, it's crazy. We even have to think about this kind of stuff and maybe you don't, but like if someone happens to hear your song on the radio or on a playlist or whatever, you gotta want them to like be able to google and figure out what it is if they don't know
1: yeah uh, and it's yeah. not it's not all songs either i mean you you kind of right. know what songs are album tracks and what songs are the ones that are, are really going to be popular But and, and conversely sometimes you don't know sometimes we've written songs that were on the bottom of the pile and then we record them it's like whoa this is like my you know top three on the record now all of a sudden and then and then you get them out and, and then you know the fans always dictate what what hits are they truly right. do you know sure. we don't know we don't know. The The, the fans are going to speak. Um, you know. And I don't know what kind of promotion went into this song, but you, you just got to think. In, in, in Back in the day, in 82, when this song was released, 81, 82, radio stations were all the rage. You had right. two choices. Either you were, were going to get played on this brand new thing that came out that really hadn't taken off yet because it was a cable uh, thing. Not a lot of people had cable on the TV in the early 80s, and MTV was on cable. Uh, so there was this new vehicle to, to get, uh, played in, uh, on video format, or you were on the radio. That was pretty much it. Or you got a right. song on a soundtrack or you, you know, you were played during a TV show. Uh, right. there was no, uh, you know, at the, you know, touch of the fingertips to, 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 find out about songs. And this song is just such for the time piece and time of when it was, it was so great for radio because people used to call into radio stations. You know, and the number was like, you know, call blah, blah, blah and, and request your favorite song. So the the I imagine just because this was a phone number that just this song at the radio stations had have been lighting up every chart across the country. Because, again, for, for 15 minutes back around 82, this was the, the biggest song there was.
0: Right. And uh, I have so, a few notes about, you know, we always like to look at what else was going on in music at the time that this song became a hit. So for a little perspective, you know and well, the big what, what, sec? What, what what month
1: exactly was this
0: song again ah uh, the month i don't know the year the year is 1982 okay the, oh oh wait a second um may 22nd 1982 so it was it was like a summer song
1: yeah yeah and um i know i know what was going on around then um but I'll, I'll 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 let you fin- finish your thought. That though. I was going to say. I I could I could take you back and probably guess some of the things you're going you no, go to say. No, go
0: ahead. I want to see if you're right.
1: I want to hear <laughs> um, this. Yeah. So 82. I mean, it was late 81 that Freeze Frame came out, but Jay Giles' band was really happening in 82. Lover Boy working for the weekend. Uh, that was happening. Michael Jackson's Thriller was recorded in late 82, but really didn't take off till 83. Um, and around this time, it was uh, flock of seagulls were really popular. Um, But but hit me. I'm curious to see what you came up with. Well,
0: okay. So this song peaked at number one on modern rock ahead of Van Halen's cover of Opening Pretty Woman. woman? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it peaked at number four on the Hot 100, and that was behind "I've Never Been to Me" by Charlene. I don't know that song.
1: Um, I remember the name Charlene. I do not know the song.
0: Uh, "Don't Talk to Strangers" by Rick, Sh- Rick Springfield, which mm-hmm. we had. We did an episode about Rick Springfield, obviously for Jesse's girl, but the dude is a f- fucking hit maker <laughs> he had a lot of hits but jesse's girl is kind of the one that's had the remembrance yeah, of yeah and,
1: and and real quick for you going that's a good point because i wanted to bring that up during this episode is you know like someone like rick yeah if you think of rick springfield you think of, of jesse's girl for sure for just the common person but he's not a one-hit wonder in my opinion you know no, he, he had really uh, you know i'm blanking out. well don't talk to strangers oh, yeah. was one yeah, of them um, I, I, i've done i've done everything for you which yeah, was written which right. was written by sammy hagar actually oh. yeah it was never a hit with sammy but uh, rick rick cut it and uh it, it became a hit but uh but tommy's song <laughs> tommy heath tommy two-tone uh 8, 6, 7, 5, 3, 0, 9, that was it i don't think he ever had another song even played in the radio once i could be wrong but there's i i can't name another song, tommy
0: he had a song before this he had a top 40 hit in 1980 and he had a song called angel say no and i looked it up and it, i had never heard it before <laughs> but i, I, it, it was I haven't either it was top forty, mm. so hey, it was something. I mean, it's it's higher than any song I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, can't and, can't can't bag on it. And then, oh, also at this same time was uh, Ebony Ebony and Ivory McCartney and Stevie Wonder. Okay, yeah. But as far as nineteen eighty two in general, the biggest singles were, as we mentioned before, Survivor, I Had a Tiger, mm-hmm. Men at Work, Down Under, yeah, and uh, Joan Jett, I Love Rock and Roll. There and you go. Dexy's Midnight Runners, come on, Eileen, man, there's some stuff coming full circle in this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and and again, I I brought up Joan because I specifically remember those two, the, you know, eight six seven five three zero nine. And I love rock and roll. They were they were massive, and they were around the same exact time. And it seemed like looking back now. Those two songs and uh, I Ran So Far Away by Flock of Seagulls. Those are the only three songs I ever remember playing at the skating rink. I think those three songs were on repeat for, for that, that whole year yeah. of 82. <laughs> hey, you know, there was only
0: one song on repeat at, at my skating rink, and that was Get Down on It.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, cool and in the Gang.
0: Yeah. And the the guy who was like, I think we called him asshole or something, but like, you know, the guy who would whistle at you if you were skating too fast or whatever. Yeah, he's During like the that, lifeguard. Yeah, but he was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, Punchline, you know how like when you first start your band, you have like those songs that it's like about some asshole in your classroom or like about you know, whoever, we had a song about the asshole guy at the skating rink when we first uh, made our first demo tape, but that guy (laughs) during get down on it, he would blow his whistle. And when he blew his whistle, you would get down, you would like squat down and then you'd get back up when he, so that's definitely on repeat at the skating rink. But anyway, man, as far as this goes, Tommy two-tone, definitely a great hit. It's definitely cool that we got to tour with him, but before we go, I want to talk, for a minute about your podcast man you got a new podcast heard you got I, a cool you got a cool producer
1: on it too i, I do have a good, cool producer and he invited me on his show wait it's this show yeah, um yeah. <laughs> yeah my uh my producer is none other than uh the man you're listening to talk to me chris afaglio from the band punchline host of one hit thunder yeah it's called Krista makes a podcast got a bunch of great artists out of the gate chris came up with the concept which uh i uh can't say enough and I can't say enough thank yous about, it, about the concept, which is just the, the response has been amazing from, from, uh, from the listeners so far. Uh, the concept is songwriting and it's exactly what goes into uh, writing a song, a hit song, a, a song in general. And, and I have my guests each week pick a defining song from their career. And uh, on the podcast, we analyze it, critique it and, and, and discuss it and, and go deep into the origins uh, and everything else that has to deal with the song yeah it's been
0: really fun I've been uh, assuming Matt's role on our podcast. I've learned a lot from Matt my producer and I kind of I told him I'm just gonna like take the entire format of one hit thunder and just <laughs> do do it the same way because you can't beat it it's great yeah
1: no it's been it's been uh you know a, a wonderful way to uh to connect with fans and uh it's I can't say enough about i' I've, I've had an absolute blast so far
0: yeah and and it's very interesting we've done. You know, we've released one episode Uh, by the time this episode comes out, we'll have released a bunch. But the first one was with John Feldman from Goldfinger talking about the song here in your bedroom. We always talk about a specific song, so it's kind of similar to One Hit Thunder in that regard. We're talking about one song, but we're talking with the actual artist about the song they wrote. But we've had a lot of great guests by the time this comes out. I'm sure we would have had Jarrett Reddick from Bowling for Soup, Bill Stevenson from The Descendants, Chris's bandmate, Roger. And uh, with Mike Herrera, we had a a lot of great guests and uh, yeah, man, it's, it's great talking about music with you. I like talking about music in general. So, you know, both of these podcasts have been a real great thing in a very dark world.
1: Well, (laughs) Hey man, I, I, and I, and I appreciate you having me on and I will, one last thing I will say about, about this song. Um, I, I, it wasn't because we had toured together with Tommy that I, that I thought about picking it. It was, um, you know, I racked my brain for a few days because there are so many one hit wonders and I got the list from you guys. I didn't want to pick something you already did, you know, right. but then, uh, then it just hit me. I'm like, oh, this is the, pr- how can we not pick this song? Cause of our history. <laughs> yeah. We got, uh, we actually both got the tour with the guy I and mean, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And on top of that, whereas, you know, I said we did a Rick Springfield episode and, and whatever, like sometimes, sometimes things are like, questionable whether they're a one-hit wonder. This is the definition of a one-hit wonder. Like, th- oh th- yeah, especially the the fact that <laughs> I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast yet, but the fact that not only did Tommy open and close with this song, he has also released a Christmas version of this song. And I do believe he was playing on that tour, a sequel to this song. So yeah, like like uh, where,
1: where Jenny is now. I mean, she, I think she, she was no longer writing her number on the truck stop wall. You know, she got married, had three kids driving a soccer van.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: So (laughs) this dude just totally embraces the fact.
0: Uh, Oh, one, one last story I want to tell before, before we go is that. So before the first show of that, PJ, our drummer at the time, got a call on his phone, probably on his sidekick, on the way to the show. And it was Tommy asking if PJ would play drums for him, because I guess for some reason their drummer couldn't come. And it was so funny. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. He like, Listen, listen to the song. He's like, oh, okay, this is just a straightforward beat the whole time. So I think he was like, Excited but nervous to do it, but then we got there and it turned out their drummer could do it. But it was pretty I was funny. Gonna,
1: yeah, and I was going to say I'd never heard that story, and because I would have remembered PJ playing with him. I was no. going to say, wait, he did? Like, where the no. hell was I hiding in the dressing room? No, he got the
0: call. <laughs> he got the call up to do it, and then when we got there, I don't know if it was their drummer ended up being able to do it or if they got like a hired gun or something. Did I don't Tommy really find
1: remember. his? Did Tommy find his number on the wall?
0: I, he may have, <laughs> and I'm sure PJ's number's dump been bump. on a few walls. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) all right man yeah this has been great man thanks for coming on this has been a lot of fun dude
1: yeah man thank you uh this has been been great it was uh like i i I knew we'd have uh, a lot to talk about with this one hell yeah man This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is produced by Matt
0: Kelly as part of the Geekscape Network and hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another
1: Cheetah. Underneath me you're hearing the Punchline cover of Less Than Jake's song, Automatic, featuring this week's guest, Krista Makes. Go subscribe to his podcast, Krista Makes a Podcast, and be sure to join the
0: podcast's Facebook page and follow Chris on Instagram at LessThanChrisD. Visit punchline.com for updates as well as news, merch, and future tour dates. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe
1: to us on all your favorite podcasting apps, and tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder.
0: You're listening to the GeekScape Network.
1: This is the story of Whitney Houston.
0: This is the story of Kurt Cobain.
1: Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael
0: Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince.
1: It's a new podcast
0: series. About how they died, why they died. Feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. is coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app.
1: And subscribe now. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with
0: Apple, Mel and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs authors and beyond from the world that turns us on we're reaching into the improvisational music scene the psychedelic culture the festival world and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes come join us on the long strange trip over at no simple road